This is 90.9 WBUR. Coming up next, All Things Considered brings you an update on the arrest and arraignment today in New York of former President Donald Trump. In the forecast, a lovely day today, but clouds are on the way in. Tonight should be overcast, chance of a shower down around 41 degrees. And then for tomorrow, only a high of about 46 degrees. Clouds, maybe showers, winds picking up. Then Thursday, clouds could have some sprinkles. Temperatures all the way up to the low 70s. This is WBUR. The time is 4.35. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies from nonprofits to the Fortune 500 find food for meetings and team lunches, tax-exempt ordering and delivery nationwide at easycater.com. And from Indeed, committed to helping businesses attract, interview, and hire candidates. Businesses can invite candidates to apply, then schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. Indeed.com slash NPR. It's All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. We are covering former President Donald Trump's arraignment on this program today. And as part of that coverage, we wanted to spend a moment learning about the man behind the indictment. That would be Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. He is an experienced prosecutor from Harlem, a Democrat, the first black person to serve as Manhattan DA. What else should we know about him? And what's his style as a prosecutor? Well, Peter Skinner worked with Bragg for several years in the Southern District of New York and spoke with me today before the arraignment began. So let's dive right in. I want to ask about a specific case that you prosecuted with Bragg. This was a money laundering case, and I gather it was complicated. This was back when you were both assistant U.S. attorneys in New York. Give me some detail on on how he approached it. Well, so Alvin and I were trial partners in the Southern District of New York, where we used to work together, you typically tried cases as teams. Mm -hmm. You know, in those cases, you're working very closely with someone in a very kind of intense environment for weeks or months. So you, you know, you get to know them fairly well. Yeah. You want someone who's first and foremost capable and help you get the job done in the courtroom. But you also want someone who you're going to get along with. And, you know, Alvin checked those boxes. I'm told there's a good story from this trial, um, a moment where the judge had told the jury, look, go take a long lunch, and then everybody's going to come back and we'll do the charge conference, meaning where you finalize the jury. What happened? Uh, that's, that's right. And this was a judge who didn't allow cell phones in the courtroom. So we got back to the conference room. Kind of the first thing everybody always did was look at their phone. My phone had a whole bunch of missed messages and voicemails from my wife that I started to listen to. She was telling me that the roof of our apartment had collapsed. Oh, my God. Um, she was home with our two young kids, one of them infant, and it was torrentially raining out. So rain had somehow collapsed the roof. And, you know, she needed me to come home right away, obviously. And I was kind of looking around in the trial room, you know, panicked because I was the one who was supposed to handle the charge in front of the judge that afternoon. I'd, I'd written the charge and, you know, I was supposed to take the lead on it. And Alvin obviously knew the charge, was familiar with it, but it just wasn't what he was prepared to do. But he didn't hesitate. He was immediately like, you have to go home. You have to be with your family, take care of this. I will cover the charge. It's not a problem. And he did. You know, he went in alone. He handled the charge. He did it well. And, you know, this was kind of no small thing. I mean, I think a lot of other people in that situation would have said, well, you know, let's get you home as quick as we can after you handle the charge. But, 
you know, Alvin didn't hesitate. And I think that, you know, it's kind of a good story that, that describes how he approaches things. You know, he's decisive, he's queer-eyed in a difficult situation. Um, did you all win this money laundering case? We did. We did. Oh, we okay. won. We won the trial. Congratulations. I wonder how we apply all this to this current moment, because whatever the outcome, Alvin Bragg is making history, as we keep noting. First criminal indictment of a former president of the United States. Is this a guy you would have pegged to put himself in the middle of something so big? Um, certainly not intentionally, but I am happy that he is one there making these decisions. You know, I think that the, the man that I know would be very careful and deliberate in making these decisions, would um, do them for the right, you know, for the right reasons. Um, you have since uh, moved on. You've gone into private practice, so I know it's been a few years since you've worked with him. But have you tracked his career enough to gauge whether things he has gone on to do have prepared him for for this moment? I mean, it's an unprecedented situation, so nobody has direct experience. But does does he bring the correct background to this? Yeah, I think he does. I mean, he has worked for most of his career in a variety of different prosecutorial positions. He's led you know, multiple different prosecuting offices. He's worked as a defense lawyer earlier in his career, which I think is also an important part of being an effective prosecutor, being able to appreciate the perspective of the defense. So I really think that he does have the necessary background to try and make these important decisions. If you were double teaming this along with him, again, any advice you'd give him? Just do the right thing. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, all you can really do is show up, be prepared, do the best you can on a daily basis and try to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Peter Skinner, he is now at a law firm, Morrison Forster. He's the former colleague of Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software for technical computing and model-based design. Accelerating the pace of discovery in engineering and science, MathWorks.com. And Serta Pro Painters, professional exterior and interior painting for your home or business. Learn more about their painting services at SertaPro.com. That's Serta with a C. This is WBUR, still pretty mild out there, 54 degrees now, a mix of clouds and sunshine, but clouds should slowly work their way into the region overnight tonight, lows about 41 degrees, and tomorrow suddenly cool again, only rising to the mid-40s, lots of clouds, high winds, maybe a shower as well. Thursday, generally cloudy, but spring-like temperatures could break 70 degrees. This is 90.9 WBUR. WBUR supporters include the Museum of Science, featuring Arctic Adventure, an immersive Arctic world exploration with technology as your guide. Tickets at mos.org. What are the biggest threats to democracy? Well, misinformation, voter suppression, and how about the steep decline of local journalism? I'm Elsa Chang. WBUR and NPR believe that public media is the enduring future of local reporting. But we won't win the fight on our own. We need more member dollars to be your eyes and ears when important decisions are made, to bring more diverse voices into the conversation, and to be the ones to hold power to account. Become a member today at WBUR.org. 
We are coming toward the end of our fundraiser, of the spring fundraiser. It is ending tomorrow. And just want to review where we've come so far. We have $127,000 left to raise. So thank you to everyone who has called in to make a pledge. During the day today, during the afternoon, we were not fundraising because we were bringing you the information on this historic day as former President Donald Trump pleaded not guilty to a 34-count felony indictment today in a Manhattan courthouse. NPR had coverage all over that courthouse and in Washington telling you exactly what was happening, what's the meaning of what's happening, what are the consequences, and why indeed this is such a historic day. That's the kind of coverage that we hope you'll pay for. Um, it's the kind of coverage you're going to continue to hear over the next couple of hours on NPR. So take a few moments right now and make your pledge of support for it. 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org and make a pledge there. I'm Lisa Mullins with Amory Severson. Hey there, Lisa. And you know, we, none of us should take it for, for granted that NPR looks to WBUR to lead that special coverage. You have Robin Young at the helm all day helping lead that special coverage, helping reach not only us here in the Boston region listening, but everyone around the country who relies on, you know, nonprofit, public radio, thoughtful journalism, in-depth coverage. They look to us and you look to us. And we look to you right now in this second to last day of our fundraiser with $127,000 left to raise. We can do this. But the question is just what is your part? What can you chip away uh, for us? Can you do $10 a month right now? Now, can you do twenty or thirty dollars a month, Amory? Yes, I forgot. What? We have a match, a dollar for dollar match going on right now until oh my seven gosh. o'clock. I, I'm so sorry, I almost forgot to mention that. How no, better late than never, right, Lisa? <laughs> this is right, a dollar for dollar match on the table. So if you make that, say, ten dollar a month contribution to WBUR right now, that'll become twenty dollars a month just for making that gift before seven o'clock today. Is that right, Lisa? Yep, and not a penny more comes out of your bank account. Uh, you can make a, a twenty dollar a month pledge, and we get forty, and uh, and you are still pledging twenty through the course of a year. So we have this dollar-for-dollar match on the table right now. Just an added reason, if you haven't called yet during this fun drive to call, this offer ends at 7 o'clock. The fundraiser ends tomorrow. You are getting extraordinary historic coverage of what's happening right now with the former President Donald Trump. And you've chosen to listen to it on WBUR. You've chosen to find out what's happening. Keep up with it because you know that you can count on the guests that we have, the analysts that we have, um, the the fact-based journalism that we are presenting to you with, by the way, editorial independence. There's no one who's saying, don't talk about this, do talk about that. Um, we are um, as as uh, reliable as any media organization can possibly be. So we hope that you'll support us because that's how we come to you. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Have your money go twice as far for WBUR right now by getting in on this match. It's too important as we try to wrap up this fundraiser and keep being being the WBUR that you count on, that you expect from us. Everything that you heard, all the special coverage today was made possible by listeners. Listeners who got behind us and said, hey, I can give. I can I can be a part of this. little special offer to throw in there really quickly, Lisa. Also, we have a very special thank you gift right now, the New York Times cooking subscription. That's as our thanks for a gift of $10 a month to WBUR, which again becomes $20 a month just by making that call before 7 o'clock. So do it now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you so much.
We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Brookline Bank, where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at brooklinebank.com, member FDIC. Time now for My Unsung Hero, our series from the team at Hidden Brain, telling the stories of people whose kindness left a lasting impression. Today's story comes from Mike Huddleston. In February of the year 2000, Huddleston flew across the country to San Francisco for a training. After he landed, he needed to get to a rental car agency, but because of a degenerative condition that weakens his muscles, he wasn't able to climb the stairs of the shuttle bus. Instead, the car agency sent someone to pick him up. But he was walking outside to meet his ride. He fell, and he couldn't get up. So I remember looking around, trying to imagine how I was going to, to be able to get up. I needed to, to push off of something. The curb was there, but there's traffic, and didn't think that was going to be really safe. So I remember sitting there on my butt in the middle of the sidewalk in front of San Francisco Airport, thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Out of nowhere... Uh, all of a sudden I hear in my left ear, what can I do to help? I turned around and looked, and there was a a guy there, maybe 35 or 40 years old. Um, And I said, are you kidding? He said, no, what can I do to help you, man? And I I described what he could do to help me uh, get up off the ground. He did it willingly and capably and uh, with, with no complaints or anything like that. Went over, got my luggage, my my suitcase had rolled a few feet away out of reach, brought that back over to me. Uh, We shook hands. He asked me if I was good, and I said, I am now because of you, so thank you very much. He just said no problem and turned and walked away. Um, It's been 24 years since that day, and it still gets me emotional when I think about that. One of the things I would like to to focus on is my unsung heroes not only being willing to help, but the way in which he offered that help, which was to ask me how he could help me. Different people who need assistance may need it in different ways, so asking them how uh, you can help them is amazingly helpful, and it allows the individual who's in need of assistance to maintain a sense of self to maybe feel a little less helpless and maybe even a little less vulnerable. That man is my unsung hero. His willingness to help me and the compassion he showed in a very challenging situation for me is is something I will never forget. Thank you very much. Listener Mike Huddleston of Baltimore, Maryland, You can find more stories from My Unsung Hero wherever you get your podcasts. And to share the story of your unsung hero, record a voice memo on your phone and email it to myunsunghero at hiddenbrain.org. Support for My Unsung Hero comes from Angie. Angie's List is now Angie, dedicated to helping homeowners get home projects done well. From everyday repairs to dream remodels, reviews, pricing, and booking are at Angie.com or on the Angie app. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. 
For almost a century, the United Auto Workers Union has been one of the nation's most important labor voices, a force in collective bargaining and in U.S. politics. More recently, though, the UAW's reputation has taken a hit with declining membership, contract concessions, and a corruption scandal that seriously damaged the union's reputation. That is what faces new UAW president, Sean Fain, elected in the first ever direct vote by union members. NPR's Don Gagne reports. Sean Fain had been in office barely 24 hours when he took the stage at a UAW convention in Detroit last week. It's a new day in the UAW. Elected UAW president by a slim margin, Fain promised a much more militant approach at the bargaining table and urged delegates to unify after the hard-fought union election. We're here to come together to ready ourselves for the war against our only one and only true enemy, multi-billion dollar corporations and employers that refuse to give our members their fair share. The combative tone was embraced by this delegate, second generation auto worker Jamonte Washington, who works at the Detroit plant that builds the hybrid Jeep Grand Cherokee. Washington was hired 12 years ago and as such was paid a lower wage and does not get the pension that more senior unionized employees get. It was negotiated as a, as a way to save the companies our livelihood, okay? Then it became a way of life and every time we go to ask for it back, oh, we can't afford this, we can't afford that. Washington adds it's something worth going on strike over. Whether it comes to that remains to be seen. The UAW's new leadership also makes clear its plan to become a major player in politics once again. That's why Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer spoke to the gathering of delegates, a measure of the UAW's traditional importance in this state. She was cheered for signing just days earlier legislation repealing Michigan's so-called right-to-work law which was put in place to weaken unions. But we cannot for one second take our foot off the accelerator. We cannot assume it is over and things are just going to be, you know, sunny and bright for anyone who is working hard in this state. We've got to continue to fight for these rights. The UAW also works the political terrain knowing that Republican Donald Trump made significant strides in cutting into the Democrats' edge with union voters. Fain was asked about that at a news conference. I'm not going to get in. I guess I won't get into commenting what I think about certain candidates right now or certain people in power, but I'll just say that, yes, we're going to be a lot more active and a lot more direct with our elected leaders and what we expect. None of this will be easy, according to John Russo, a labor expert at Georgetown University who is himself a former auto worker. Russo says the UAW is dealing with, among other challenges, a changing economy and changes in manufacturing processes, including the coming widespread electrification of automobiles. They're facing an array of serious economic and political issues that sort of undermine what they're trying to do. The swimming upstream, and that's going to continue for the near term. Good or bad, a better-than-expected contract makes finding unity on political issues easier. But not meeting members' expectations could have the opposite effect. Such is the road ahead for the new UAW leadership. Don Gagne, NPR News, Detroit. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. 
We are funded by you, our listeners, and by the Harvard Art Museums, with From the Andes to the Caribbean, American Art from the Spanish Empire, free on Sundays, harvardartmuseums.org, and Waterstone, a new luxury, independent, and assisted living community with social and wellness programs and fine dining on Watertown Street in Lexington, waterstonelexington.com. I'm Leila Faldin. We've learned that we can't take our democracy for granted. Journalism in the public interest, journalism that is the heart of WBUR, keeps democracy thriving. Member dollars give WBUR the time to pursue stories that can take months of investigation. These stories often reveal uncomfortable truths, truths that can lead to meaningful change. It all starts with member dollars. Not a member yet? Give today at WBUR.org. And this is a time to give right now because this spring fundraiser is fast coming to a close. It ends tomorrow. And um, we would love it if you would not wait until tomorrow to make a pledge. We hope you have made one already. If not, do it right now because we have a dollar-for-dollar match on the table. This is one of those incentives that... um, to our minds can't happen often enough. If it hasn't uh, occurred to you yet that we really do need your funding to provide what you're listening to right now, what you're finding at WBUR.org right now, we hope the match will help drive it home one for one match. So your $10 a month contribution becomes 20, et cetera. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins here with WBUR's Amory Sievertson. Hey, and let me pick up on that et cetera for, for a minute here, because this really is an incredible opportunity to have your money go twice as far. And as Lisa said, it, it uh, works if you give a, a monthly gift of maybe $10 a month, $15 a month, $20 a month. That'll all become 20 and 30 and $40 a month, respectively. But it also works if you give... A a larger gift right now. If you can give, you know, $1,000 to WBUR, that's going to become $2,000. If you can give $5,000 to WBUR, that's going to become $10,000 just by making that call before 7 o'clock. We have a goal of, you know, at least about $127,000, I think was the last figure that we heard yep, that we still, still have is. to raise. Right. So what is that? What What's the piece of that that you can help us uh, uh, knock off right now with your call to one 800 909-9287-WBUR.org. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. And over the last decade in this country, we've seen a real divide between what goes on at regular radio stations and here on public radio. Regular radio gets more homogenized every year. The same few formats everywhere, not a lot of personality. There are a couple good shows here and there, but by and large, it's pretty repetitive. Meanwhile, public radio just gets bigger and bigger. It's sort of corny, but I think that that's because what happens here every day, among other things, just has more heart. Even on our worst day, on our worst show, you can tell that we are here for idealistic reasons. We want news that's more in-depth. We want real analysis of what's going on around us. We want to know about new music that's not being played elsewhere, new writers we might like. And there's still the idea here every day that part of our job is to invent something new right here on the radio. It's a public space a public square, and it's funded by public support. That's people like you and me who believe in this kind of thing. We pitch in together. We hope you can help out. We hope you help out right now by calling 1-800-909, that's 90.9, 
800-848-9287. That's WBUR. Make the phone call right now because we have this dollar-for-dollar match on the table. And as Ira Glass said there, public radio seems to have more heart uh, than many of the other choices that you have on the radio dial and, in fact, in television as well. I think the same holds true for public television. And if you talk to the employees here, I think to a person, everyone is so happy to be working here because we believe in what public radio does and we believe in meaningful stories here in the news department. And that's why we take pride in bringing you, for instance, the story that we just had by Don Gagne, who has covered auto workers for decades now. He was talking about the United Auto Workers having a new president who's promising a more militant approach. We heard the profile of Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, who is the first to criminally prosecute um, a former president. We're going to be hearing so much more through the evening, in fact, about the historic uh, events of today in New York pay for that. Pay for it, please, because you rely on it. You know that you're not going to get this kind of coverage, local news stories, and local reaction anywhere else. So make your phone call right now. Get it matched dollar for dollar. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And in addition to having your money doubled right now, match dollar for dollar when you make that call. Another special offer to tell you about, which is that right now you can you can get a digital subscription to New York Times Cooking as our thanks for a gift of $10 a month to WBUR. For $10 a month, you could get, you know, you, you have the satisfaction of knowing that you supported WBUR and you have this digital subscription to New York Times Cooking. You might have spent $10 on lunch today. <laughs> and we're saying for $10 a month to WBUR, that money will be doubled. It'll be matched. You'll, that will become $20 a month for WBUR. You get yourself that digital subscription and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you're not just a listener of WBUR. You don't just take advantage of, of everything that you get from us, but you help pay for it. You make it possible for everyone who counts on it. 1-800-909-9287 is the number or go to WBUR.org. Thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Fidelity Investments, a dedicated advisor can help create a wealth plan for a full financial picture. More at fidelity.com wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. From Indeed, a hiring platform committed to helping businesses of all sizes. Businesses can invite candidates to apply, then schedule and conduct interviews in one place. Indeed.com slash NPR. And from Subaru with the 2023 Subaru Forester, featuring standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and safety technology. Love, it's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Learn more at Subaru.com. I'm Chief Content Officer Victor Hernandez. This is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. In New York City, a historic moment as former President Donald Trump was arraigned in a Manhattan courtroom today where he pleaded not guilty to more than 30 felony counts stemming from hush money payments to an adult film star. NPR's Ilya Meritz was in the courtroom and has more. He was flanked by his lawyers, he seated at a desk before the judge, and he said not guilty. He only 
spoke a few times and always very briefly. Um, and his demeanor, I would say, was downcast. He's been charged with 34 counts of keeping false business records. He was admonished by the judge to try to tone down his rhetoric uh, around uh, the people involved in this case. And the next court date is in September. And Pierazilia Merritt's. Trump learned about the charges for the first time today once that indictment was unsealed. Prosecutors allege he was part of a conspiracy to undermine the integrity of the 2016 election and was part of an unlawful plan to suppress negative information. Trump is headed back to his Florida estate where he is scheduled to hold a rally later tonight. Meanwhile, in Georgia, the criminal investigation into Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election result is still pending. Sam Greenglass from member station WABE has more. It's been three months since a Fulton County special grand jury completed its investigation. Since then, a four-person revealed that indictments were recommended for multiple people, and Trump's lawyers have demanded District Attorney Fawny Willis be disqualified from the case and throw out the special grand jury report. A judge has given her until May 1st to respond. Willis still needs to ask a regular grand jury to levy any criminal charges. One meets on Mondays and Tuesdays. Another convenes Thursdays and Fridays. New grand juries take over at the beginning of May. For NPR News, I'm Sam Greenglass in Atlanta. The Biden administration has announced another large military aid package for Ukraine, this one heavy on ammunition and air defense weapons. NPR's Greg Myrie has more. This new round of U.S. military aid, valued at $2.6 billion, is seen as an indicator of the state of the war. The package is loaded with ammunition Ukraine needs for a major ground offensive, lots of missiles, artillery and mortars. The Pentagon is also replenishing Ukraine's air defenses, including more weaponry for the Patriot missile defense system. Russia's own ground offensive in eastern Ukraine has struggled to make headway. Defense analysts widely expect Ukraine to launch an attack in the near future, and most predict the offensive will target areas controlled by Russian troops in southeastern Ukraine. Greg Myrie, NPR News, Washington. This is NPR News. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. Public transit ridership continues to grow in many U.S. cities, but data released by various transit systems show that it may already have peaked for the MBTA in Boston. Last month, New York subway system reported it hit 71 percent of pre-COVID ridership. However, the T says it hit a high of about 55 percent pre-COVID ridership levels back in October 2021, and it's remained relatively steady since then. The head of the MBTA advisory board says people may think the T comes too infrequently and they don't trust the system anymore due to recent safety issues. The city of Boston is launching what's called a community healing tour to try to prevent further violence in the city. The healing tour will bring together residents and municipal leaders in neighborhoods that have been hit hard by violence. This year, there have been 11 homicides in the city of Boston. That compares to five at this time last year. Robberies are also up about 20 percent in that time frame. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu says the city can do better. When it comes to 
public safety incidents, we are committed to eradicating violence in our communities, in every neighborhood, in every part of our city. The Healing Tour gatherings will provide information on mental health services and other resources. Massachusetts will soon have a new commissioner for the state's Department of Public Health. Today, the Healy administration named Dr. Robbie Goldstein to the role. He is a policy advisor at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and an infectious disease doctor at Mass General Hospital. Goldstein founded a transgender health program at the hospital. He will take over for acting Commissioner Margaret Cook. She's held the role for more than a year. The forecast is coming up. WBUR supporters include Progressive Insurance with its Name Your Price tool, a way to see coverage options based on a driver's budget. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Red Sox and Pittsburgh Pirates meet again tonight at Fenway Park. And in the forecast, cloudy tonight around 41 degrees. Tomorrow, clouds and maybe some showers. Temperatures only in the mid-40s. This is 90.9 WBUR, still 53 degrees now in the Boston area at 506. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by UMass Chan Medical School. Proud to be named one of Boston Globe's top places to work. Learn more at umassmed.edu globe. This is All Things Considered. From NPR News, I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. And I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. Today, in the case of the people of the state of New York against Donald J. Trump, the former president of the United States was charged with 34 felony counts of falsifying business records. During his arraignment in a Manhattan courthouse, Trump entered his plea, not guilty. Outside Trump Tower in Manhattan, NPR's Jasmine Garst spoke with people gathered both in support of the former president and in support of the indictment. Good morning, Donald! It's time to face justice! Sandy Radoff from Brooklyn was with a group ringing bells and chanting. I'm actually celebrating for our democracy. She said this indictment had to happen for the sake of American democracy. It would set a terrible precedent if he were allowed to get away scot-free. Nearby, 55-year-old Susan Serbo was also celebrating. Today's my birthday, and I can't find a better way than to be out supporting Donald Trump. She said she admires Trump for his perseverance. He just never gives up. And, like, sometimes I look and I'm like, how does this guy get out of bed every morning? Why would anybody even want to be president anymore? Serbo said she believes this indictment was politically motivated. If he wasn't running for president again to take our country back again, this would never be going on right now, in my opinion. All right, let me get you back to the courthouse. That is where NPR's Ilya Meritz spent the day. He joins us now. Hey there, Ilya. Hello. Hi. We got a little bit of a delay on your line, but I want you to kick off by telling me what you saw today in court. So Donald Trump entered the courtroom about 2.30, so 15 minutes later than scheduled, which is pretty good considering all the security needed to get into the building. I myself went through metal detectors not once but twice. The entire building had been emptied of the judges, lawyers, and defendants who usually would be there in the middle of the day. This was the only thing happening. Hmm. Uh, Former President Trump entered the courtroom. To my eye, his expression was downcast, maybe unimpressed. He wore a long, bright red tie, took a seat between his lawyers, Joseph Tacopina and Susan Nicholas, at the defense desk. And after about 15 minutes, after the charges had been read out and he was asked to answer, he said, 
not guilty, and the words I wrote in my legal pad were gritty voice. He looked to me deflated. Huh. And explain to the non-lawyers trying to keep track of all this, we've got 34 counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Just how serious is this? Yes. So, well, the counts are all the same, right? So it's 34 felony counts, as you say, of falsifying business records, first degree. Prosecutors say these false business records included 11 checks used to uh, repay Michael Cohen for buying Stormy Daniels' story and silencing her. Uh, The checks were classified as legal expenses when, in fact, they were nothing of the kind. And that's where the business records become false. Uh, But this was a catch-and-kill scheme, according to prosecutors. That's how they're describing it. And they are also talking about another woman who claimed an affair with Trump, Karen McDougal, and also a doorman who had a story about Trump fathering a child out of wedlock. Trump has denied all of these stories, uh, but AMI, the parent company of the National Enquirer, allegedly played a role in silencing the doorman. Prosecutors say Trump started to make or direct these false business entries to cover up the crimes. Valentine's Day 2017, right at the start of his presidency, and they extended right up until December of that year. All right. We are expecting to hear from the man at the center of all this, Donald Trump, later tonight. NPR will be covering that, although we will not be carrying his remarks live. We did just hear uh, from another person at the center of this. This is Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who brought this case. He just gave a news conference. Uh, This is the first time he's been able to speak freely about the case. What did he say? You know, I've seen and heard him interviewed quite a few times. I've never heard him so high energy or really so prosecutorial. He said, we cannot allow cases like this to slide, thereby normalizing serious criminal conduct. He also responded to some of the criticism of the anticipated indictment. Uh, People kind of knew what this indictment probably was going to look like. And he said falsifying business records is a bread and butter charge for white collar cases in his office, uh, including felony level false business records charges, which is only possible when the false business records were entered in service of some other crime or intended crime. Here, Bragg says it was violations of both federal and state election law that, that would kick this up to a felony level. As this office has done time and time again, we today uphold our solemn responsibility to ensure that everyone stands equal before the law. No amount of money and no amount of power changes that enduring American principle. All right. So first comments we heard there today from D.A. Bragg. Just in the minute we have left, Ilya, paint us a picture of what is next uh, for this case. What is next with the other cases facing Donald Trump? Yeah, this chapter of history is now entered in the books. Uh, Motions from the defense and prosecution in the people of New York versus Donald Trump will come later in the summer into the fall. Prosecutors are asking for a trial date in January. The defense says later in the spring is better, but there's just an avalanche of other stuff that could come beforehand, uh, including uh, writer E. Jean Carroll's civil rape suit, uh, the prosecutor in Georgia who's investigating Trump's pressure campaign on officials there to change the result of the Georgia vote in the 2020 election, and a DOJ investigation. So the real certainty here is just a ton of litigation as Donald Trump runs for president. That is NPR's Ilya Meritz outside the courthouse there in Manhattan where he has spent the day as Donald Trump showed up for his arraignment. Thank you, Ilya. Great talking to you, Mary Louise.
This is 90.9 WBUR. On Wall Street, a downward turn across the board today. The Dow and the S&P both lost about six-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq closed about a half percent lower today. In the forecast, sure was a lovely day. Lots of sunshine, but clouds are rolling in, thickening overnight tonight. Temperatures should fall to the low 40s, and tomorrow may not make it out of the 40s. A chilly wind, lots of clouds, the chance of showers. Thursday, clouds should stick around, maybe some light rain, but we should have temperatures rising about 25 degrees, highs Thursday reaching the low 70s. This is WBUR. It's 513. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cambridge Naturals, a local source for health and wellness since 1974 in Cambridge, Brighton, and at CambridgeNaturals.com. I'm Anthony Brooks. There is an inseparable link between the journalism that you rely on from WBUR and the listener support that makes it possible. Listener support continues to carry WBUR like never before. That's why your monthly gift is so important right now. To give, go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thanks. Thank you so much, especially if you've pledged already during this fund drive. If you haven't, please know it's over tomorrow. Excuse me. And we still have... A fair amount that we have to reach, but we know it is a reachable figure because we've done it before. You have done it before for us. Emery Sievertson, how much? $110,000, I believe, is what we still need to raise. Is that correct? Yes, as All far right. as we know it is. 110000 that we have to go. That's That's before the end of the day tomorrow, but... Why wait? Let's get it done now, Lisa. What do you say? Well, we have a dollar-for-dollar match on the table right now. That's why. All right. Dollar-for-dollar. So your $10 a month becomes $20 a month. Your $20 a month becomes $40 a month. If you can make a larger gift right now, if you can make a gift of $500 to WBUR, that's going to become $1,000 just by making that call right now or going to WBUR.org. So the phone number for that is 1-800-909-909. 9287. Please call that number right now or go online at WBUR.org and show your support for all the news that you know you can count on from WBUR. News such as, of course, the historic happenings in New York today, which we are covering. Uh, we covered during the afternoon, uh, holding our fundraiser for the afternoon, uh, holding back on it. And uh, we will be covering it tonight as well. So you know you can count on expert analysis going to the best possible sources that there are on stories like the Trump arraignment. But we have many uh, other stories coming up, uh, an author interview that's still ahead, um, talking about medical residents unionizing still ahead, talking about auto workers unionizing, a new president of auto workers, uh, the auto workers union. So this is what you get, the whole panoply of news and information on WBUR. And you know you can count on us for that. So help us pay for it. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. The whole panoply. I like that, Lisa. I was thinking melange. The whole (laughs) melange of news, but not just news. You know what you get from WBUR. It's, you know, you you hear things that entertain you, that enlighten you, that delight you. You get all of that from one news source that every time you turn it on, you know that you can trust it. You know that you can count on us to get it right, to do it right. And we're asking you to pay for that because you are the public in public radio. You're the largest share of the funding. Everything you hear was made possible by listener contributions. So make that call. If you can give $10 a month right now to WBUR, you're going to get yourself a digital subscription to the New York Times cooking. That's as our thanks for stepping up to the plate. You'll get to nourish yourself not only with the news, but with all these great recipes by calling one 800 909-9287 or going to WBUR.org. 
Sometimes we think of news as in the moment, and it can be. But sometimes it's the ongoing conversation. It's the sustained attention to a person or a story or an issue that matters most. And that is part of what we do at Radio Boston. So take Morahelia Michelle Wu, Massachusetts' first woman governor, Boston's first woman mayor. That means their policies, their philosophies, the ground they break affect our daily lives. And that is why it's so important to understand how they think about their leadership in this state. I don't want us to just be competitive. I want us to win. And why they propose the policies that they do. The purpose of rent control or rent stabilization is very specific. It is to stop the harm. You can pull up a chair with Governor Healy and Mayor Wu on Radio Boston every month, and you can text in your own questions. The sustained dialogue matters, and that's one of the many reasons why WBUR is such an important part of your day, today, tomorrow, and beyond. And that's why we're hoping you'll call right now, 1-800-909-9287, or go to WBUR.org, especially right now because we have a dollar-for-dollar match on the table. It is over in less than two hours, and the fundraiser is over tomorrow, so we hope you will take advantage of the extra incentive right now with this dollar-for-dollar match, and pledge whatever you can to WBUR. We're looking for an affordable pledge for you. For many people, that's a sustainer basis, a monthly pledge. And uh, right now, whatever you pledge month by month will be doubled for one year. That's right. 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. Have that contribution doubled. What an opportunity. When else in life does someone say, hey, you know all that work you did? I'm going to make it go twice as far. That's what this group of, of generous members of our Murrow Society have done to encourage you to give because, you know, it just doesn't seem right that you would enjoy everything that you get on WBUR, that you would that you would have this reliable news source and be able to give back to it and not. But but many people do. And don't be one of them. You can do this. Be a part of this. And while you're at it, get yourself that digital subscription to The New York Times Cooking, which has, you know, all sorts of recipes. It saves those recipes for you. It's going to help you become a better cook. And, you know, Lisa, I often think it's kind of hard to uh, think about how much to give. You know, mm-hmm. it's the, these are all it's it's all just numbers. And when we say we have one hundred and ten thousand dollars left to raise, it's kind of like ah, what do I give? Think about ten thousand. That's beautiful. <laughs> Done. Here we go. Everybody go home. No, just think about how much you you spend on on what you feed your body to function. You know, I mentioned this ten dollars a month. Maybe you spent ten dollars just on breakfast. Maybe you spend three dollars every day on your morning coffee. In the meantime, you know, be is feeding your mind, your your curiosity, your wonder, your understanding, your worldview, maybe your values. You know, you don't just get news. You get humanity. You get a sense of what it means to be alive and part of a family or a community or a country or, you know, just a citizen of the world. That's what you get from WBUR. It's hard to put a price on it, but my goodness, try $10 a month, $20 a month. It will be doubled for calling right now, 1-800-909-9287. And you can get yourself that New York Times digital cooking subscription. Absolutely. And we tend to say, you know, pledge whatever you can afford. Just remember that we know that budgets change. We know financial circumstances change as well. So if you were to make, say, a $25 a month pledge right now, become a sustainer, and then you find out that you can't do that later, or the converse, maybe you want to pledge a little bit more um, than you had before, we are incredibly flexible and amenable to that. We totally get it. So 
We just want you to become a member because that way you understand what this relationship is all about. You understand the funding model for public radio, which is unlike anything else. So do your part because that's how we keep this all coming. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Bank of America, offering access to resources and digital tools designed to help local to global companies make moves for their businesses. Learn more at bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive Nerve Relief. Nervive is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at NerviveHealth.com. From NPR News, it's All Things Considered. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Adrian Florido. Fifty-five years ago today, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, shot by a sniper's bullet while standing on the balcony outside his room at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. In an iconic photo of the chaotic moments that followed, we see King lying on the balcony, surrounded by a group of people trying to help him. Among them is a young black man kneeling down, holding a towel to King's head, trying to stop the bleeding. That man was Morel McCullough. He was there with a group of black activists who'd been meeting with King. But McCullough also had a secret. He was a Memphis cop who'd been spying on the movement. Of course, the only reason he was on the assistant chief's radar was because he was black, and therefore one of the few officers who could blend in with the strikers and their supporters. For once, his race put him in good stead in the department. That's McCullough's daughter, Lita McCullough-Selecki, reading from her book about her father's life. It's called The Kneeling Man. She'd known the photo most of her life, but not her father's role that day until high school. I found out from the local newspaper, the Memphis Commercial Appeal, when I was a junior in high school. I was an avid newspaper reader, having grown up in a a household with journalists. Uh, My mother and stepfather were journalists. So I was reading the newspaper one day and I saw an article that described a black undercover Memphis police officer who was present at the scene of the assassination. And then it's had my dad's name in it as being that officer. And so that's when I learned part of the rest of the story. Well, the rest of that story was that your dad was not just a a Memphis police officer. He was acting as a double agent. He was uh, there pretending to be an activist. And he had infiltrated a, a militant black activist group known as the Invaders, Now, who were the invaders and why were they, and therefore your dad, at the Lorraine Motel that day? The invaders were a black militant group based in Memphis who were seeking to create opportunities and openings for self-determination in black institutions and neighborhoods and so forth. Um, Working with Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference to try to help the cause of the city's striking sanitation workers. For that reason, the invaders were in talks with Dr. King uh, to assist with uh, demonstrations. And uh, the SCLC had provided the invaders uh, a couple of rooms, I believe it was, at the Lorraine Motel. And so that is why they were there. And um, the Lorraine also happened to be the SCLC's kind of base of operations in terms of lodging in Memphis. And why was your dad there? 
Well, my dad was wherever the invaders were in order to complete this task that he was given, which was to listen in on what the invaders were doing, see if they were planning to radicalize the strike supporters, the supporters of the sanitation strike. So on April 4th, 1968, as an invader, and in fact, he had been named their minister of transportation, he had been driving around a couple of Dr. King's cohorts um, from the SCLC, James Orange, who they called Baby Jesus, with a couple of college students, and then went back to a church that was kind of a nerve center of the sanitation strike efforts, Claiborne Temple. And there he um, met up with James Bevel, another SCLC member. And so they took two cars over to the Lorraine Motel. By this time, it's evening. It's getting close to dinner. And um, this is why my father wound up there shortly before Dr. King was murdered. Why did your dad feel that infiltrating a Black activist group was the chance that his young career had, had been waiting for? He was 23 years old, had just graduated from the Memphis Police uh, Department Academy in December of 1967. So essentially, he was just a couple of months on the job. He had already appeared, you know, in uniform. So when he's asked to infiltrate this militant group, he's looking at it in a pragmatic way of, I, you know, this is more interesting than foot patrol. This is more interesting than car patrols. So that was the lens through which he was viewing the assignment. But of course, there's a lot of naivete to that. Your dad's experience as a spy for the police meant that he was in the room for some pretty important moments uh, in Memphis's civil rights struggle. I mean, he was sitting in the audience at some of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches in the weeks before he was killed. Uh And I was fascinated that he found that he identified and sympathized with what these activists were trying to accomplish because he himself was a a black man who'd struggled, you know, to emerge from poverty. And I'm wondering how he reconciled these two realities of his. You know, what did you find about how he managed to justify what he was doing? I really don't think he did reconcile these two ideas of, on one hand, sympathizing with the cause of the sanitation workers, which he did, with supporting Dr. King and what he was doing and admiring Dr. King and the the movement and supporting everything that it stood for. This story speaks to this idea of double consciousness, um, as articulated by W.E.B. Du Bois, um, where to be... Black and then to also be American can be um, ideas that are very much at odds and in conflict. And so I think there's a certain amount of uh, compartmentalization that has to happen there. And I think he was able to kind of integrate all of these things into who he became. And so he's a very different person than he was when he was 23 years old, of course. You know, now he's much older. He has the freedom to live out the beliefs that he has inside. You are a daughter who loves her dad. And a lot of your book is a a struggle to understand and even find some meaning in what he did. But I wonder, do you ever wish he'd just made a different choice? That's a very difficult question. There are so many factors that went into the path that he took. On one level, he did have a lot of personal agency, and I think it would be a mistake to discount that. He made choices and, you know, he exercised his will 
to make the best of the circumstances that he had. At the same time, it's important to recognize that there are systems outside of those personal choices, particularly in the time periods that we're talking about from the mid 1940s and Jim Crow Mississippi through the 60s and beyond. And so his choices are circumscribed by oppressive systems, you know, basically limiting the paths available to him. And so looking at all that now in retrospect, I think that it would be really difficult for me to judge that because the position that he was in is so vastly different from anything that I've ever experienced. I mean, on one hand, it's vastly different. On the other hand, it does still resonate today in terms of the same kinds of oppressive systems, perhaps recast in different ways that circumscribe our choices today. And, you know, what freedom looks like and what unfreedom looks like in terms of how systems shape the choices available to us. So to answer your question, I do not judge what he did. I've been speaking with Lita McCullough-Soletsky. Her new book is called The Kneeling Man. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Salem State University School of Graduate Studies. Advance your career and become a leader in your profession. SalemState.edu slash graduate. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. In New York City, former President Donald Trump pleaded not guilty today to illegally influencing the 2016 presidential election through a series of hush money payments. The Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg alleged they were designed to stifle claims that could be harmful to Trump's candidacy. Trump was silent during the arraignment and sat stone-faced as the 34-count felony indictment was unsealed. That 16-page indictment contains new details about a scheme that D.A. Bragg says involved multiple payoffs to two women who said they had extramarital affairs with Trump years earlier. Here's D.A. Bragg. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. These are felony crimes in New York State, no matter who you are. The judge also warned Trump to refrain from rhetoric that could cause civil unrest. Authorities in the U.K. have fined TikTok nearly $16 million for failing to follow data protection rules to keep children safe. NPR's Bobby Allen tells us it comes as officials in Washington apply new pressure on the popular video sharing app. British authorities say TikTok let more than a million children under 13 use the app without parental consent. That's despite a rule in the country requiring that young users receive a parental okay before being the target of data mining. TikTok's own rules say a user must be over the age of 13 before creating an account. But British regulators found that TikTok did not do enough to enforce the age requirement. Authorities say because of TikTok's inaction, a million users under 13 may have been served harmful or inappropriate content. In a statement, TikTok says it disagrees with the fine. The company says its safety team works around the clock to keep the platform safe for young people. Bobby Allen, NPR News. Stocks finished lower on Wall Street after a pair of weaker-than-expected economic reports today. This is NPR. 
This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. $15 million is being made available to create more than 360 units of permanent supportive housing in Massachusetts. The Massachusetts Alliance of Supportive Housing, or MASH, is making the grants available to 18 organizations across the state. Joyce Tavon with the organization says the supportive housing is meant to help adults with disabling conditions who lack housing. People who may have a year or more of homelessness in a shelter or actually living out on the street. And as I mentioned, have disabling conditions that may be due to mental health issues, substance addiction. They may have medical issues. The services that will be included with the housing uh, also include behavioral health counseling, access to health care, and peer support. Governor Maura Healy took part in a conference call today with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. It was part of a video conference with other members of the National Governors Association. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is now in its second year. Healy has said Massachusetts stands in solidarity with Ukraine. Last year, the legislature approved $10 million to help resettle Ukrainian refugees in Massachusetts. A new study out of Harvard Medical School shows breakthrough COVID cases are rare among vaccinated seniors who live in nursing homes. Dr. Sarah Berry is an associate professor of medicine at the school. She led the multi-state study with her colleagues. She says the risk of severe infection dropped by more than half for fully vaccinated seniors. What was notable was the incidence of severe infections, and in particular hospitalizations and death was was really low in the study, um, uh, was less than 10 percent. And, you know, if we compare that with the first wave, COVID again before the vaccinations where you know, 30% of nursing homes were, to, were, were dying. The study found that residents ages 85 and older with certain pre-existing conditions, such as heart disease, were more vulnerable to COVID than other seniors. And Berkeley College of Music has inaugurated its first female president. Ceremonies were held today at the MGM Music Hall in Fenway for Erica Mull. She will serve as the college's fourth president ever. Mull joined Berkeley after a 30-year career with the University of Southern California. She says a focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and educational support will help shape Berkeley's future. This is WBUR. The forecast is coming up. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Longy School of Music's Gala Benefit Concert. April 19th, Paquito de Rivera receives the Leonard Bernstein Award. Tickets at longy.edu slash gala. Clouds should slowly continue to work their way into the region, staying overnight tonight. Lows about 41. And tomorrow, cool again, rising to the mid-40s. Lots of clouds, high winds. Could have a shower tomorrow. Then Thursday, cloudy, but highs about 71 degrees. It's 535. Support for NPR comes from this station and from BritBox with Sister Boniface Mysteries. Brilliant crime-solving nun Sister Boniface returns to solve curious cases in this Father Brown spin-off. Available to stream at BritBox.com NPR. From CFP, Certified Financial Planner Professionals, committed to acting in their clients' best interests. Learn more at letsmakeaplan.org. And from the sustaining members of this NPR station. On a Tuesday, it's All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. And I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. Our top story today, former President Donald Trump has pleaded not guilty to a 34-count felony indictment in a Manhattan courthouse. That courthouse was barricaded and surrounded by law enforcement and onlookers. NPR correspondent Quill Lawrence was outside all day, and he joins us now. Hey, Quill. Hey, how are you? 
I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, you and hundreds of press, police, and protesters waited for hours to get a glimpse of the former president. What did you see? Well, I, uh, starting from last night, journalists were queuing up to uh, for this event. Um, they waited overnight. I got here around 6 a.m. and people started filing into the square outside the courthouse. Uh, there were some uh, celebrity politicians, I guess you'd call them. George Santos came through. Marjorie Taylor Greene came through. The scrum of, of demonstrators, uh, but there was no real, uh, no real uh, protest uh, speeches. No, no stage. Actually, Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene's megaphone seemed to have malfunctioned, so no one could hear her. Hmm. After about seven hours of that, uh, the president, the former President Trump, uh, finally arrived in a motorcade from Trump Tower uptown. And we got a, a glimpse of him. Uh, could see him halfway down the block behind the police barricades, and he waved to the crowd. He didn't say anything, and then he walked into this giant courthouse, which underneath a, a granite inscript, uh, inscription from Thomas Jefferson, which says, "Equal and exact justice to all men, whatever state or persuasion." This small square near the courthouse that you mentioned, it was filled with people. So who, who else was there and what were people saying about uh, Donald Trump's court appearance today? Yeah, I would say there were scores of protesters, demonstrators, um, I don't know, maybe 200 in total. Uh, they were outnumbered maybe five to one by journalists and police and separated by barriers, uh, shouting at each other. There, were, there was a, a pro-Trump section and a, a, a anti-Trump section, and they were shouting across barriers at each other. But it was, honestly, it was a circus. There were some literal stuntmen here. I, I spoke mm. with uh, Ricardo Verona, who uh, was wearing an orange sweatsuit on rollerblades, spinning two basketballs, one on his <laughs> finger, one on the tip of an American flag, and he told me he just loves Trump. You know how somebody got game and all of that? I like a president that got all that, because some of these guys be just talking. He got movements, he got style, he got what it takes. No other president could be like him. You know, and not far from him was Lydia Pacheco, who was carrying a plaque with a Puerto Rican flag on it. And here's what she had to say. I'm here to see this guy, to pay for the crime that he committed against our, our nation and the crime that he committed against my island, Puerto Rico. I hope that he get convicted. I hope he get indicted for and be in jail for a long, 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 long time. That's what he deserves. You know, she said she couldn't forget Trump's uh, sort of halting response to hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico in, in 2018. Uh, and she was even carrying a roll of toilet paper to remember that, that President Trump had, had gone to Puerto Rico but handed out, thrown out towels of uh, paper towels to people. So there's just so much history and so many different opinions to have formed over pre about President Trump over the, the years in office and the years since. I've been speaking with NPR's Quill Lawrence in Manhattan, who was outside the downtown, uh, the downtown Manhattan courthouse where Donald Trump was indicted today. Thanks, Quill. Thanks a lot, Adrian. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Exclusion U, a film about the controversy over Ivy League admissions and endowments. World premiere in Cambridge, April 17th. Registration at exclusionletteru.com. 
This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Uh, Very quickly to bring you up to date, and our fundraising now, our spring fundraiser is over tomorrow. That means that we would love it if you would make your pledge now, especially because we have a one-for-one match on the table. I'm going to give you the number 1-800-909-9287 or go online at WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Amory Sieverts, and I just want to uh, give a shout out to Quill Lawrence there, who presented. I mean, this is radio, but what beautiful, vivid images and and audio to augment those images he just had in that story. And so you really felt like you were there. You know what it was like to be on the streets of New York as Donald Trump was being arrested and arraigned inside that courthouse. A historic day calls for the best reporters that are out there. That's why you listen to WBUR. So please pledge your support for it right now because we're going to be having coverage of this arraignment all evening on All Things Considered. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Bringing the real voices and all of the, the stories and issues that you need to know and help you understand them better to put the human voice behind them so that you understand, you know, what this really means to your community, to your neighbor, to your, you know, relative across the country. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org is the number to call, the website to go to to show how much this matters to you. It matters that we protect journalism like that. And as Lisa said, we have a dollar for dollar match on the table. What does that mean? That means that generous members of our Murrow Society say, hey, you put a dollar in the pile, we'll put a dollar in to match it. So if you can give $10 a month right now to WBUR, that will become $20 a month just for making that call right now. If you can give a larger gift of $1,000 or $2,000 to WBUR, that $2,000 is going to become 4 thousand dollars and please do it now because we still have a hundred and nine thousand dollars left to raise in this fundraiser and as our ceo margaret lowe uh told us earlier you know we need this right now in a big way we have tens of thousands of supportive listeners members people who tell us that we're their lifeline that even on the hardest news days we remind them of their humanity but the truth is it's gotten harder and harder to find new members and that scares us i mean it definitely keeps me up at night Stations across the country are experiencing the same decline in the number of donors at a time when we know trustworthy information is so crucial to our collective well-being. So my hope is that our listeners can help us buck this trend. We know that many of you listening spend more time with WBUR than you do with some of the people you love most. We also know that there are so many good causes to support, but if we matter in your life at all, if you can't imagine a day or a week without WBUR and NPR, we'd love to hear from you. And I'd take that a step further and say, we do matter in your life. You can't go a week, probably even a day, without WBUR because we put it all in context and tell you what you need to know. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Good news. We're now down to $108,000 left to raise in the fund drive. So you helped us knock off $1,000 in just the past few minutes. Please keep it coming right now. You can still call as we go to uh, the latest news with all things considered. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Remember, we have a dollar-for-dollar match on the table. And that comes from listeners just like you, generous listeners who say, look, I want to give an added oomph to uh, whatever you guys are talking about on the air in order to persuade people who have yet to be persuaded to give. So the fun drive is over tomorrow. There's a dollar-for-dollar match on the table. What's not to like? And by the way, 
you also have another incentive, and uh, just think cooking. Oh, yes. Just think cooking. In fact, if we want to get specific, Lisa, think coconut caramel braised tofu. This is a recipe that you recently... You had me until tofu. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Coconut caramel braised, insert protein source of choice, okay? But this is a recipe that recently caught my eye on the New York Times cooking site and app, and you need a subscription for that. But if you make that call right now, and you can give $10 a month to WBUR... You will get that subscription as our thanks for supporting journalism, nourishing your your body with coconut caramel braised protein and (laughs) and with WBUR with coverage that you rely on that you cannot live without. Don't miss this opportunity with a dollar for dollar match to have your $20 a month become $40 a month, to have your $500 become $1,000, to have your $2,500 become $5,000. Call right now for BUR, for yourself, for your community, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. 40 seconds before we go back to the news and Emory, in that 40 seconds, you have to find one more recipe just to, to taunt us. Oh, um, oh I $108,000 left to raise a dollar-for-dollar match on the table right now. All the news on this historic day, news that is the most credible news, the most accountable news that you can count on for the coverage of Donald Trump's arrest and arraignment today. Okay, Emery. Sesame tofu or protein with coconut lime dressing and spinach. How about that? I'll just give you dinner ideas for the rest of the night. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you. WBUR supporters include UMass Chan Medical School, proud to be named one of Boston Globe's top places to work. Learn more at umassmed.edu globe. Russia has formally charged a 26-year-old woman with terrorism in connection with a bombing over the weekend. It took place in a cafe in St. Petersburg. A prominent Russian military blogger was killed. Dozens others were injured. The terrorism charge comes as Russian officials have blamed Ukraine and domestic opposition in Russia for masterminding the blast. Both deny involvement. Well, joining us from Moscow to talk about the incident is NPR's Charles Maines. Hey, Charles. Hi there. Okay, tell me more about the attack itself. Like, what what actually happened? Yeah, you know, this explosion occurred on Sunday in a central St. Petersburg cafe bar, uh, just as a military blogger named Maxim Fomin was preparing to give a public talk about covering the war in Ukraine while embedded with Russian forces. Now, according to law enforcement, Fomin was presented a small statuette, kind of a bust of himself as a gift. Uh, that exploded a few minutes later, ripping through the room of some 100 or so onlookers. Huh. Uh, Foman is originally from the Donbass, but he's also among a group of military bloggers who gained notoriety amid the war in Ukraine, uh, in part because of his ultranationalist views, but also because of his blunt criticism of the defense ministry's top brass. I mean, he's, he's really in this camp of voices that's been critical of the Russian military strategy and really pushed the Russian government to essentially hit Ukraine harder Uh, particularly after watching Russia suffer repeated military setbacks uh, last summer and fall. And I mentioned there has been an arrest. What do we know about the suspect? Yeah, you know, Russia's investigative committee said it had detained 26-year-old Daria Trepova, a former medical student on terrorism charges. A Moscow court today ruled she'd be held until early June. You know, witness video in the moments before the blast appeared to show Trepova handing this trophy statuette, this, this bust, uh, directly to Foman before onlookers, uh, moments before it exploded. The authorities later released a partial video confession from Trepova, uh, possibly under duress. 
Я принесла туда эту статуэтку, которая взорвалась. А кто тебе передал эту статуэтку? Можно я попозже расскажу? So here Trepova says she handed the statuette that exploded to Fomin, uh, but when asked uh, by the agent who gave her the statue, uh, she somewhat mysteriously says, can I tell you later? And the recording just ends there. Oh, wow. <laughs> Seems almost designed to invite the conspiracy theorists. What has yeah. been what has been the theory advanced by authorities there in Russia? Well, the investigative committee today said Trepova was operating under instructions from people in Ukraine, uh, which aligns with what we've heard from other Russian officials, including in the Kremlin. Uh, yet Russia's anti-terrorism committee also claimed the attack was coordinated by Russia's opposition, uh, specifically by supporters of jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Uh, needless to say, both the authorities in Kiev uh, and Navalny's camp, they deny involvement. But just more generally, you know, Russian officials and state media have accused the West of, of really cheering on the attack rather than expressing sympathy for the injured or for Fomin. Uh, Fomin here is being portrayed as a martyr, a, a hero. Uh, President Putin awarded him a posthumous state honors, and he's being praised as a dogged reporter uh, who gave his life trying to inform the Russian public about the war in Ukraine. Uh, speaking of reporters, I do want to ask what news we have of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. Uh, he was detained on espionage charges. This was last week. While on assignment there in Russia, do we know anything more than we did last week? Well, Gershkovich's lawyers say they were able to finally visit with him in Moscow's Lafortova prison today, uh, where they say he was in good health and expressed his gratitude for the outpouring of support he's received. Uh, they continue to seek his immediate release and informally appealed his ongoing detention. And the Wall Street Journal continues to work with the U.S. government, you know, the White House, the State Department, to advocate for Gershkovich's release. And Pierre's Charles Maines in Moscow. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. Since the pandemic, a lot more doctors in training want to unionize. They say they want better working conditions and wages that cover their cost of living. From member station WHYY in Philadelphia, Alan Yu has more on one of the newest campaigns. Dr. Leia Rafi was pregnant during the first year of her internal medicine residency at the University of Pennsylvania Health System. She gave birth during her second year. I worked through my 40th week of pregnancy, really trying to maximize the amount of time I had with my baby after he was born. Now she's back at work and needs childcare. A lot of childcare. Residents often work long and irregular hours, sometimes as much as 80 hours a week. She says there is childcare affiliated with her workplace, but the waitlist is impossible. And finding her own childcare or a nanny is prohibitively expensive. The cost of daycare is in a month is about half of my salary in total. And the cost of a nanny is essentially the entirety of my salary. She says this is not an unusual problem. Residency comes on the heels of at least eight years of schooling, so it overlaps with childbearing years for a lot of people. I know a lot of people who've delayed having children and 
I also have heard a number of stories of people delaying having children and then ultimately having real challenges getting pregnant because of being older and various factors. She says unionizing is the best way to ask for better working conditions and higher pay. She says that would ultimately lead to better patient care. Penn Medicine says in a prepared statement, in part, that they are proud of how they improve resident life and increased salaries to make wages competitive. They also say residents should work directly with administrators through an existing advisory council. Dr. Madison Sharp is an obstetrician and gynecologist in the third year of her residency. I was the president of this council last year, and I can tell you firsthand that the House Staff Governing Council is extremely limited in what we could accomplish. And it was incredibly frustrating to advocate for residents and fellows and not be heard or have our concerns brushed aside or dismissed. The vast majority of residents and fellows filed a petition to unionize with the Committee of Interns and Residents. That union represents resident physicians across the country. Before 2020, there was roughly one union campaign a year. In 2022, there were eight. Communications Director Sunyata Altenor says residents who want to unionize know the program is supposed to be hard work with long hours. But they want to be treated fairly for the work they put in at a workplace they cannot just choose to leave because it's part of their training. It's easy to exploit physicians during this time in their career. They're only going to be there for a few years. It's sort of expected that you go through this hard hazing culture and then you come out at the other end an attending physician. The campaign in Philadelphia comes as residents at other hospitals around the country are unionizing as well. Recently, residents at Montefiore Hospital in New York won a union election. And residents at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. and Mass General Brigham in Boston announced they want to unionize as well. For NPR News, I'm Alan Yu in Philadelphia. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Our Journey with La Mer, a world premiere about ocean preservation by choreographer Nanine Linning, April 6th to 16th, bostonballet.org. I'm Tiziana Deering. Local journalism has disappeared from communities across America. Research from Harvard shows the erosion of local journalism has contributed to the deterioration of civic engagement in affected communities. Boston is fortunate to have robust local journalism, but we can't take it for granted. Start a monthly contribution to WBUR to keep our local journalism strong. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Please do it right now. You know, when you support this kind of journalism on WBUR, you're keeping yourselves strong. You're keeping the community strong as well. This is really something that we hope you prize in your life, no matter how much you listen to WBUR. The fact that you listen, we hope you also understand the fact that we rely on you for our operating budget. We do not air commercials. We don't have a paywall. We rely on voluntary contributions. And right now, we hope you'll make one because we need to pay for everything you hear on the air, including the coverage of President, uh, former President Donald Trump's arraignment and arrest today in New York. 
And we're going to be continuing that coverage through the night, by the way. The number is this, 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Amory Sievertson. In Emory, we have a new tally. The fund drive ends tomorrow. How much do we have left to raise? We have $105,000 left to go. So that's by the end of the day tomorrow. So I'm I'm going to, you know, put a little challenge on the table here myself. And I'm going to say, let's get that below 100000 by 6 o'clock. That's the next four minutes, okay? Now I, like I get Emory that. Emory in charge. Uh, yeah, I get, I get that. I get that it sounds ambitious, but the beauty of the way that we raise money for public radio, for a public good, is we say, hey, just do your part. Just do your part. We're not going to tell you how much that is. We're not going to put this crucial, vital journalism behind a paywall. We're going to ask you to do your part. So with this dollar-for-dollar match on the table, that helps us all get across the finish line. That That's a group of generous listeners doing their part to help your part go even further. So if you can give... a month right now to WBUR, that's going to become $40 a month. If you can give a larger gift of $1,000 or $2,000, your $2,000 is going to become $4,000 for WBUR. We have three minutes left. Let's get that $105 down to below $100. Give as generously as you can, and it will be matched dollar for dollar. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And once again, remember that the fund drive ends tomorrow. Don't let it end without you having staked your claim in WBUR. So many people love the station. Think if you didn't have it, what you would pay to get it back and decide maybe that is the amount that you want to pledge. Uh, Amory Sievertson has declared as the co-host of the Endless Thread podcast, listen if you haven't, that we will get down to $100,000 with your help by 6 o'clock. And that is two minutes away. We hope we can do it. We know we can if everybody out there who has not yet called calls in right now or goes to WBUR.org. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Yes, I have declared that we can do this. We can do this because maybe you're out there and you've been listening for a long time, but you've never given before. You know, I challenge you to see how good that feels to become a part of the listening community that makes WBUR possible. Everything that you have listened to on WBUR today was paid for by another listener. So So be that listener for someone else. Be the listener who steps up and says, you know what? I can't give a lot, but I can give $5 a month. I can give $100 right now. That $5 a month becomes $10 a month just by doing it right now. That $100 becomes $200. And if you can give more, if you can give that $1,000 maybe, that's going to become $2,000. So do it now. Do it. Maybe you need a little extra incentive. I got that for you. We have a digital subscription to the New York Times cooking app right Right now, that's as our thanks for that $10 a month. $10 a month if you can do it. Again, that becomes $20. You get that subscription. You get recipes like the recipe of the day. You want to know what it is, Lisa? Yeah. Blackened cauliflower. Oh, actually, How do you feel about I like cauliflower? that. That's good. That's you right. didn't say the T word. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say the to- Oh, I just said tofu. <laughs> 1-800-909-9287. WBUR.org. Please make your pledge of support right now. Whatever you can afford. Um, realize that we can count on you to bring you the news that you count on us for. So please do your part right now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from PBS with The Sun Queen. American Experience presents the story of scientist Maria Telkesh, who dedicated her career to harnessing the power of the sun. 
premiering tonight at 9, 8 central on PBS. From Fisher Investments, Fisher Investments' team of specialists tailor portfolios to each client's long-term goals. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. And from Proven Winners Color Choice, offering flowering shrubs, from hydrangeas to lilacs to evergreens, the full collection is at provenwinnerscolorchoice.com slash NPR. This is NPR. I'm reporter Deborah Becker, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org, WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. Former President Donald Trump was arraigned in a Manhattan courtroom today, pleading not guilty to 34 felony counts of falsifying business records. The charges stem from hush money payments to an adult film star. Wearing a dark blue suit and a red tie, the 76-year-old, the first sitting or former U.S. president to face criminal charges, sat with his hands folded at the defense table as he entered his plea flanked by his lawyers. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg says, quote, we cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements. Trump, who's running for president in 2024, left New York on his plane heading to his home in Florida to hold a rally tonight. His next court date is in December. The White House continues to try to keep its distance from this legal drama in New York involving the former president. NPR's Franco Ordonez reports that the White House won't speak about issues surrounding this case, but it will on others. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was pressed repeatedly for a reaction to the historic nature of former President Donald Trump's arraignment. She turned down every opportunity, stating she would not address issues related to the ongoing investigation. But when asked why President Biden would speak about the attacks on January 6th, which also involve ongoing legislation. She said that was a moment he needed to speak to. She said he ran for office on bringing the country together, on protecting democracy. When it comes to a a criminal investigation like this uh, that is ongoing, we are just not going to comment. We're not going to interfere. We're not going to politically interfere from here. And she says they've been consistent. Franco Ordonez, NPR News, the White House. The FDA says it will allow some people to get a second shot with bivalent COVID-19 booster. NPR's Rob Stein has more. A federal official who is not authorized to speak publicly tells NPR that the agency has decided to authorize the vaccines that target Omicron as a second booster for some people. The shots will be limited to those 65 and older who got their first bivalent booster at least four months ago and those who have weak immune systems who got their first bivalent booster at least two months ago. The idea is to shore up the fading immunity those high-risk people got from their last shots. The FDA is expected to officially announce the decision within weeks. Rob Stein, NPR News. It's election day in Chicago, where voters are choosing between Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis to be the next mayor. Both men finished ahead of current mayor Lori Lightfoot, making her the first incumbent in 40 years to lose a re-election bid. Polls close at 7 p.m. local time. 
Wall Street lower by the closing bell. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. Good evening. I'm Lisa Mullins. Services for Mel King are set for next week. The longtime Boston activist and state representative died last Tuesday. His wake and funeral will be held in the South End. That's where he lived. A public visitation is set from 4 to 8 p.m. Monday with a funeral Tuesday at noontime. Both will take place at the Union United Methodist Church on Columbus Avenue in Boston. Massachusetts Governor Maura Healey is establishing a council on Latino empowerment. She'll sign the executive order to Tomorrow, it'll advise the governor's office on ways to expand economic opportunity for the state's Latino community. The council will be made up of more than 40 Latino leaders from across the state. The new logo for UMass Amherst is not getting a lot of love on campus. It consists simply of the maroon letter M. UMass Amherst senior Megan Wood says she feels sorry for incoming students who buy UMass paraphernalia with a new logo. I feel like it would look weird. Like, it would just be like a random M. People wouldn't know who we are. Like, it doesn't represent UMass, Amherst, so. The old logo featured the entire word UMass in maroon. The school also has a new seal. It features the spire of the campus's iconic chapel. The old seal was retired in 2011 and included an image of a Native American. Part of the Cape Cod town of Chatham is being transformed into Nantucket, but only temporarily. It's for a Netflix miniseries. It's called The Perfect Couple. It stars Nicole Kidman and is about a wedding on Nantucket that's disrupted by the discovery of a body. Filming is expected to start within two weeks and last until July. This is WBUR Overcast tonight. Chance of a shower down around 41 degrees and then just a few degrees higher tomorrow. Daytime highs about 46 with clouds, maybe showers, winds picking up tomorrow. Then for Thursday, cloudy, could have sprinkles. Temperatures hiked all the way to the low 70s on Thursday but then back to the 50s on Friday and maybe over the weekend, too. This is WBUR. It's 6.06. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Imaginable Futures, supporting the Institute for Women's Policy Research, working to close inequality gaps for women and improve the economic well-being of families. IWPR.org. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Adrian Florido in Culver City, California. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly in Washington. Today marked a new chapter for Donald Trump and a historic day in America, the first time any sitting or former U.S. president has been charged with a crime. Trump was indicted on 34 felony counts. He pled not guilty in a New York courtroom. Since news of the indictment broke last week, the former reality TV star turned president has been dominating the news cycle, much as he did when he was in office. LaGuardia Airport, where the president, the former president's plane is about to land in New York City. President Trump once famously questioned his political invincibility if, say, he committed a theoretical crime. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Today, the justice system began the process of testing the former president's legal vulnerability. In lower Manhattan, outside the criminal court building where Trump turned himself in, crowds of his supporters waved flags bearing his name. For others who gathered there, this was a long-awaited day of accountability for a man who has spent decades avoiding it. Good morning, Donald! It's time to face justice! 
Shortly before 1.30 p.m., the former president's motorcade arrived at the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse. Trump exited one of several black SUVs and entered the building. Joining us now to talk about the charges that former President Trump was asked to answer for inside that building is NPR national justice correspondent Carrie Johnson. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Adrian. Carrie, uh, Trump uh, was charged on 34 felony counts. Uh, what are the most serious charges here? Uh, that's right. The charges were just unsealed in the last few minutes. We're still going through them, as well as the statement of facts. But we do know that 34 counts are related to falsification of business records in the first degree. Essentially, the grand jury says that from August 2015 to December 2017, the former president, Donald Trump, orchestrated orchestrated a scheme with others to try to influence the 2016 election that uh, in a scheme known as catch and kill, they found and purchased negative information about Trump to try to bury it and boost his electoral prospects. And they violated election laws and made and caused false entries to be made in business records of companies in New York. And then they later took steps to mischaracterize for tax purposes the true nature of payment made in that scheme. We have a statement from DA Alvin Bragg, a written statement. The DA says Manhattan is home to some of the country's biggest business markets. We can't allow New York businesses to manipulate their records to cover up criminal conduct. And we today uphold our solemn responsibility to ensure everyone stands equal before the law. Uh, Carrie, what happens next? How does the legal process begin to play out from here? Well, uh, during the arraignment this afternoon at the federal, at the uh, state courthouse in New York, uh, Judge Juan Marchand uh, set the next court date for December 4th. Um, this case uh, w uh, could head to trial as early as January 2024, according to the prosecutors, though Trump's defense team is uh, targeting spring 2024, which of course will be right in the heat of some of the primaries. So uh, Donald Trump is not only a former president, he's actually running for the White House again in 2024, which to some extent will complicate this schedule and uh, some of these legal proceedings potentially. Uh, we do expect as well that the district attorney's office will have to share some information with the former president's lawyers, a process called discovery. And then we may get some legal motions from the Trump team. The former president has already signaled on social media he want, might want to change the venue from Manhattan to someplace like Staten Island, which may be more favorable to him, electorally speaking. Uh, Trump did not speak as he was leaving the courthouse uh, after his arraignment, but I understand that his lawyer uh, did. What did his lawyer have to say? Yes. One of his lawyers says the indictment itself is boilerplate. He called it disappointing and said they're going to fight it. He said Trump is upset and frustrated and disappointed. He also said this is a sad day for the country. But Trump's lawyers, even before today, had signaled they intend to fight uh, via paperwork and, uh, and uh, rhetorically. And I expect a lot more of that to come in the hours and days ahead. What about the judge uh, in this case, Carrie? Yes, the judge, Juan Marchand, is somebody who has handled cases involving the former president and the Trump organization before. He's no stranger to some of these complicated matters. He also said in court today that um, the district attorney is not asking for a gag order, despite a lot of speculation in advance of this proceeding, a gag order on the former president. But he said that he's encouraging both sides to refrain from using ang language that is likely to incite violence or civil 
internal unrest and refrain from any action likely to uh, cause that kind of behavior. We know, of course, the former president has been posting for days now about the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, which has led to an uptick in threats against the DA. That's something to monitor moving forward. The former president has also been blasting the judge and one of the judge's children on social media. And we'll have to see if that continues despite this warning today as well. Kerry, uh, uh, former President Trump is also being investigated by the Justice Department for his handling of classified documents and his role in the January 6th uh, Capitol riot. He also faces potential charges in Fulton County, Georgia, over efforts he made there to overturn the state's 2020 election results. Uh, What does it mean that this case involving hush money payments to a porn star uh, went first? And how does the action in this case potentially affect those other cases? You know, we're still going through the indictment here, Adrian, but what I can say is that some legal experts expected this case filed by the Manhattan DA to be potentially the weakest. And so we do know that the prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, has been very actively investigating attempts to pressure state officials there um, to try to overturn the results of the 2020 election. And Adrian, just before uh, this proceeding in Manhattan today, uh, federal appeals court here in Washington sided with the special counsel Jack Smith, saying that Jack Smith should be able to question some of uh, Donald Trump's top White House aides, former aides in the White House, including Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, about January 6th and those classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. So a big defeat today for the former president there. I've been speaking with NPR National Justice Correspondent Kerry Johnson about the arraignment today of former President Donald Trump in New York. Thank you. Thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.com. This is 90.9 WBUR. On Wall Street, a downward turn across the board today. The Dow and the S&P both lost about six-tenths of a percent. NASDAQ closed about a half percent lower. The forecast is coming up. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Graduate School of Psychoanalysis. Masters in Clinical Mental Health Counseling with experientially based classes led by supportive faculty. GRE not required and state licensure eligible. Now accepting applications for fall. More at bgsp.edu. Red Sox have put Nick Pavetta on the mound tonight against the Pittsburgh Pirates' Ronzi Contreras. Start time is 7-10 at Fenway Park. Three of the Sox's first four games of the season have been decided by just one run, including last night's game. In the forecast, 51 degrees now should be overcast tonight, even though it gets some nice sunshine out there right now. Down to about 41 degrees overnight. And then tomorrow, daytime highs in the mid-40s with clouds, maybe some showers, high winds. Thursday, cloudy, maybe some light rain. Temperatures all the way up to about 71 degrees Thursday. This is WBUR. It's 615. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Comcast Business, providing small businesses with cybersecurity and fiber solutions at speeds up to 10 gigs. Comcast Business, powering possibilities. Boston is fortunate to have options when it comes to news sources, but local journalism is in decline. I'm Ari Shapiro. WBUR is doing everything it can to bring you meaningful, nuanced stories from greater Boston. But WBUR can't do its job without your financial support. We need every listener who can give to give a little money every month. 
Become a member at WBUR.org. And thank you if you already have become a member. If you haven't, please do it now because this fundraiser is over tomorrow. I'm going to give you the phone number slowly, 1-800-909-9287. That's 90.9 WBUR. Or you can pledge online at WBUR.org. So once again, the spring fundraiser ends tomorrow. And we have now $101,000 left to raise. Amory Sievertson, that sounds like a lot. But you know, your call out for people to bring us under 100000 by 6 o'clock, it almost worked. Came close. It came close. Good thing I'm wearing my patient's pants. We can get there. <laughs> we can get there. We will get there. We will get there when you make your call. You know, we're just we're just waiting for you. Now, you don't need to give that $101,000. If you have it, hey, we're not going to turn it down. But just all, all I want you to do right now is ask yourself, what is your part? Can you give... $5 a month. Maybe that is the nice, comfortable amount that makes you feel like, okay, I've got WBUR's back. I know that I'm supporting them every month. Well, guess what? We have this dollar-for-dollar dollar match put on the table thanks to generous members of our Murrow Society, people who have stepped up and said, hey, I can do a little more for WBUR. I want to use that to encourage other people to do their part. That $5 a month that you give right now is going to become $10 a month thanks to the Murrow Society. If you can give more, if you can give $15 a month, it's going to become 30 $30 a month for WBUR. So you know what WBUR does for you. We've been doing it all day, every day. You know why you turn to WBUR specifically for your news and information and analysis. We're asking you right now to pitch in, to help us, to be a part of this. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And this is such a transparent endeavor because you know when you put your money into WBUR, what you get out of it, what you get out of it are stories like the one that you just heard on the charges filed against Donald Trump today. He pleaded not guilty to 34-count felony indictment today in a Manhattan courthouse. We heard from NPR's Carrie Johnson, I think really one of the finest, clearest reporters that NPR has. I really appreciate what she does. Quill Lawrence, we heard from earlier on the scene outside of the courtroom in New York. And so many other stories that you've also been hearing about. The United Auto Workers having a new president who promises a more militant approach to contract negotiations. These stories, plus the arts, music, sports, this is what you get from WBUR. So please pay for it right now. However much you can afford, know that it will be matched only until 7 o'clock tonight, dollar for dollar. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Guess what, Lisa? We're down to $100,000 right now. So thank let's, you. Thank you so much for, to everyone who's given and made that possible. Let's get below that $100,000 with your call, with your pledge, with your contribution right now when you call that number, 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And you know what? I just want to give a big shout out to Robin Young right now specifically because Robin Young was at the helm of NPR's national coverage all day covering that Trump arraignment. Smooth as silk. Smooth as silk. And you know what she's doing right now, Lisa? In no. 10 minutes, she's going to be interviewing Olympic marathon character, uh, Olympic marathoner. I'm so excited about it. I can't talk. Kara Goucher in oh. City Space, in wow. WBUR's event space. So many ways, so many things that we bring to you. And here's Robin talking to you just about the stories that we bring you beyond news, beyond the Trump arraignment, the stories that connect us as people. Sometimes it's hard to stick your head up and look around and see some of the beauty and the joy in this world. And I think that's another thing we're devoted to. I mean, a conversation with Jerry Seinfeld 
Or Jeanette McCurdy, who's a 30-something, who uh, her story's kind of devastating about the abuse when she was a child star. But to be around her spirit and to be at WBUR City Space and see these hundreds of young women who came to laugh and cry with her, you know, to bring in those kinds of human moments, I think that's also something that we leave room for that a lot of the cable news stations don't. I mean, we are determined to also take time for the things that make us feel alive. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org, for everything that you have heard and will hear on WBUR that helps you feel more alive and more connected to your community. Give back to that. Support your community. Give it to to everyone in your community by giving to WBUR and having that contribution matched dollar for dollar. You know, when you listen to WBUR through the evening tonight, if you have any questions about what's happening uh, in the Donald Trump um, uh, uh, arraignment and what happens from here on in, how it is going to affect the election coming up, Donald Trump is a candidate for the presidential election, you will get those questions answered by listening to WBUR. So not only do you get um, the news and information, uh, everything that's happening, you know, that kind of tickles your fancy if it comes to arts and music and culture and sports, but you also get answers to the most prominent issues of our time, what's happening today on this very historic day in American history. If you appreciate that, and we know you do, pledge for it. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Bank of America, offering access to resources and digital tools designed to help local to global companies make moves for their businesses. Learn more at bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness. And from iDrive, providing cloud backup, full system backup, and on-site iDrive appliance to protect PCs, Macs, and servers from data loss due to crashes and ransomware at iDrive.com. This is NPR. It's All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Adrian Florido. Today is the last day to vote in Chicago's critical mayoral race. Two Democrats, Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson, are in a runoff that has attracted a rush of attention and spending from outside of Chicago. It will determine which Democrat will lead one of the country's largest cities. As NPR's Kelsey Snell reports, that's a role that may help define the entire party's identity. Last Thursday, a raucous crowd rallied just outside of downtown Chicago. Rapper Vic Mensa and Senator Bernie Sanders were opening acts for Brandon Johnson. He's a Cook County commissioner and former public school teacher running for mayor. Sanders says this race is part of a bigger fight for progressive values across the country. We can create the kind of city that the people of Chicago deserve, the kind of nation that all of us deserve. Johnson is facing Paul Vallis, who was once the CEO of Chicago Public Schools. The two offer starkly different versions of how Democrats talk about issues like public safety, race, education, and equity. Vallis won 33 percent of the vote in the first primary round in February. He's centered his campaign around public safety. Crime in Chicago is out of control. And if you've had enough, you have a choice. I'm Paul Vallis. I'll put more police officers on our streets, platforms, and the L. 
Vallis says Johnson would defund the police, a position Johnson denies. Instead, Johnson talks about a community investment strategy for public safety that focuses on education, health care, and housing equity. He won 22 percent of the vote in February. The race is the latest example of Democrats splitting along progressive and moderate lines. Johnson has framed Vallis as a Republican in disguise. When you take dollars from Trump supporters and try to cast yourself as a part of the progressive movement, man, sit down. That's Johnson at the rally with Sanders last week, where he touted his support from local and national teachers unions. Vallis has backers that include the city's police union and Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, who is one of the most senior Democrats in the state. I believe there's too much at stake to stand on the sidelines in this mayoral election. Crime and gun violence are hurting families and the good name of this great city. Their backgrounds echo other divides within the broader party. Johnson, who is a 47-year-old black man, says his candidacy unites a multi-generational, racially diverse coalition of voters that Vallis, who is 69 and white, cannot reach. But Vallis is focusing on crime and urban business development at a time when polls show voters across the country are worried. And Republicans have spent the past several years hammering the message that Democrats are ruining cities like Chicago. The reason why you have crime that is spiraled out of control in so many of these different areas is because you have politicians putting woke ideology ahead of public safety. That's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, an expected Republican presidential candidate. He was addressing members of Chicago's Fraternal Order of Police ahead of the February primary. That Republican critique is also one of the reasons that national Democrats are closely watching the outcome of elections like this. Simon Rosenberg, who is a longtime political consultant for Democrats, says many factors will affect the upcoming presidential election. And ultimately, President Biden, who is expected to run for re-election, will determine the party's message. But it's like anything else in politics, right, is that if the other side comes after you for something and you don't have a strong response, it can be hurtful. It will be up to national Democrats to come up with that response. Johnson and Vallis are trying to keep the focus on Chicago. Kelsey Snell, NPR News, Washington. Seymour Stein will be remembered for the talent he spotted. Stein was a music company executive. He died Sunday at the age of 80. He signed Madonna, the Ramones, and Talking Heads to his label. The recording industry followed his lead. Here's NPR's Phil Harrell. When Seymour Stein was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2005, one of the artists he discovered, Ice-T, spoke on his behalf. My friend said, uh, Seymour Stein likes your record. I'm like, who is Seymour Stein? They're like, he signed Madonna. I'm like, oh, that's who Seymour Stein is, right? In 1987, no major label was taking a chance on what would later become known as gangsta rap. But Sire Records released this Ice-T track that would define the genre. Six in the morning, police at my door. Fresh to be the squeak across my bathroom floor. Ice-T insisted the label never pushed back, no matter how challenging the content. I could turn in a record that just was, I don't know, burned down the city. Seymour's like, great. Go for it, Ice. Because, see, right now, we're in a world where artists are taught and trained to say nothing. Seymour was looking for somebody who had something to say. Stein had a knack for being ahead of the curve on multiple music trends. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. 
When New York City was the incubator for punk and new wave, Sire Records signed the Ramones and Talking Heads to their first record deals. Stein was born in Brooklyn and started his label when he was still in his 20s. After years of importing British bands to the U.S. market with little fanfare, Sire hit its stride in the late 70s and dominated the 80s. Stephen Thompson of NPR Music says Sire introduced bands through underground college radio before turning to pop radio. When I was in college radio and I was kind of learning how to be a music nerd, there was such a stark line, like you could be underground and cool or you could be mainstream and terrible. Sire Records and Seymour Stein found ways to kind of fuse those together. And that describes his greatest claim to fame when he signed an unknown who emerged from the underground dance scene in New York. Stein was in the hospital awaiting open-heart surgery when Madonna came to his bedside to demand a contract. He told that story to Terry Gross on Fresh Air. Here I was, you know, a mess. I probably hadn't taken a shower in a few days, and I freaked out. I had somebody come and shave me and cut my hair and look the best I could before she got there. She wanted a shot more than anything, and I wanted to give her that shot because I, I totally believed in her. Within a couple years, the whole industry was trying to mimic all things Madonna. After learning of Seymour Stein's passing, Madonna posted, he was one of the most influential men in my life. He changed and shaped my world. Phil Harrell, NPR News. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Music Emporium, guitar sellers for more than 50 years, celebrating the enduring presence of music made on the front porch and center stage, themusicemporium.com.